You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode 90, Community Engagement Part 2. Be a voice, make a difference. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking, which Sandy is exactly what we're going to be talking about today. On last episode, we had talked about the, this first part of community engagement, the collaboration piece, which is essentially study the issues. And so we talked about that in great detail in last episode. So don't by any means stop listening, but go back and listen to 89 if you haven't already listened to it. Today, though, we're going to look at the be a voice and make a difference and the importance of who your listener is and what you are doing. That's right. And, you know, we, we looked at the partnership model that is based on respect for expertise and resources. And it may, uh, as I was thinking about it, um, I may have framed this more of for the community to respect the expertise and resources of uh, people in law enforcement and prosecution and protection services that have a lot of legal frameworks that they have to stay within the color within the lines, you know? Sure. But the other side of that and that what reason this is really good for our government and professional partners to also listen in on this is because community partners are really valuable. Community partners bring to the collaboration um, a unique position in the community. They may already be trusted advisors. They're very service-oriented. They're often um, community ethnic leaders that um, are well-respected and and really understand their community better than an outside service provider. And also, they already have so many systems that are that are already established, and those systems are age-appropriate, language-appropriate, and those community partners bring a valuable piece of infrastructure to our momentum to, to go down this highway to end human trafficking. So the value of including community partners is very definitely a two-way street. This is That's what collaboration is. It is a two-way street. Absolutely. And I know part of the reason that we didn't necessarily talk about, as, as hit on as much as kind of the individual studying the issues on the last episode, is after all, we're preaching to the choir a little bit. If you're yeah. listening to our voice, That's you already right. know the importance of you as an individual studying the issues and learning about this issue. And we're so grateful that you have taken us up on this opportunity to be in partnership with us and to listen to the show and to study the issues yourself. And so we're, we're taking that a little bit as a given just because of the audience right. we're speaking to, which actually is a great transition to our first point today, Sandy, because one of the ways to be a voice, and in fact, the best way to be a voice voice is ironically to first start by not speaking, but by listening and really understanding 
the audience that we are communicating to or trying to get our message to. Wow, that is so powerful. Um, You know, in my work, I visited a lot of task forces, a lot of coalitions, and I often see um, new participants who come with um, their arms full of flyers and things, and this is who we are, and here's what I have. And they didn't even sit down before they started saying, I've got this, I'll do that. They, you've got to sit and listen first. You have to find out um, who's doing what already. Um, where is the need? So all those things we talked about in the last episode to identify clear roles mm-hmm. and know how things work, you aren't going to find that out unless you sit down and listen. And the and knowing your audience is really important. And I know, Sandy, you do a lot of thinking about this very strategically whenever you're going to speak. And you speak, oh, how many goodness. times a week do you speak? I don't speak? know. I, mean, I don't know. But th- three or four days. I mean, you've been in upstate California this week. You're going to uh, you're going to England shortly. You've been I was in New Hampshire over. last week. You were in New Hampshire last week. Oh, yeah, it's and you, fine. You're, you're just, I mean, I'm just amazed at how you're in so many different audiences uh, or in front of so many different audiences. And I know one of the things you think about at the beginning is who is here today and what is how do i meet them where they are because i think that one of the mistakes that many of us make not just in the issue of addressing human trafficking but in lots of communication situations is we start thinking about us what do i want to say to this group what do i want the slides to look like what am i comfortable with what's making me nervous how long am i going to talk where do i want to stand in the room that's comfortable for me all the things that are kind of like me 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 but not really thinking about the fact that if we're there in front of an audience, we're not there for us. Mm. We're there for the audience and what the audience has been told we're there for and what they're expecting. And we're taking their time and their resources to be able to communicate a message. And so we have to do our due diligence in order to meet them where they are. When I start preparing to go and train on human trafficking, the very first thing I evaluate is who is my listener. And it's um, it's amusing. I had an intern in my office recently, and she said, you must have a thousand PowerPoints because I archive them by year. And um, I go back and, and revisit and say, hmm, that might be useful for this group. That didn't work with that group. And I've never used the same PowerPoint mm. twice. I always tweak it, if you will, for this particular audience. I love it. It it There is no one size fits all. So some of the things I wanna know is I wanna know, is this gonna be all one profession? Like I do, every semester I speak to the public health class in our nursing department. This is, these are all nursing, nurses. So that's an easy audience because I'm a nurse. I speak their language, it's, it's perfect. I could do that every day and always I could save a lot of time but most of the time I'm speaking to an audience that is very cross-cultural and multidisciplinary so I have to follow the rules that we talked about in the first um, part of this and learn the language that is the common language now if you're speaking to people that don't know that common language then the first thing is to teach them Mm-hmm. the common language, teach them the new terms. And I loved the the Socrates 
quote that you did in the last episode. So if you haven't listened to the last episode and you want to know what Dave said that was so brilliant, (laughs) go back and listen to it. Know your listeners and then evaluate how much they can absorb. Um, My biggest mistake, and I still make it a lot, is I put way too much content in and I can't deliver it all in the same, in the right amount of time. And so breaking things down into deliverable content that people can keep and take out of there with them, just accept that you're not going to be able to tell them everything you know, Dave. So uh, decide what are three things you want them to leave with. Mm. And if they walk away with those three things, then you've been successful. And usually I want them to walk away with understanding when I'm doing community engagement, which is what our theme is here. I want them to walk away with a healthy respect for the rest of the team. That means they need to understand roles. And I want them to understand that they can be a partner and they have expertise and resources. I don't know what their expertise and resources are. And I'm hoping that as we walk through the training, they're writing down, oh, I didn't realize I've got something valuable to contribute to this. And then thirdly, I want them to know what to do next, what to do next. So when I'm thinking about my listeners, um, I have to tailor those responses So if I'm talking to adults, it's one way, but I do a lot of stuff with university students and high school students, youth groups. Um, So I don't want to burden a child, a a student who's, and you guys know from our podcast in the past, um, brain development is a really important part of this. And I don't want to use fear tactics um, to manipulate young people and a hyper hyperbole or sensationalizing things. Uh, I want to be really ethical about my word choice and how, how I speak to people. I want to give them reality. Ethics is really important because your spoken word has so much power. Mm. If you tell a story and you change the story to make it more sensationalized, um, there's a problem not just for you, but for your listener who now has a distorted view. And yes, it was really exciting delivering that. But I've seen so many cases of of people miscommunicating the issues and it doesn't actually serve our, our purpose well. So, so a big part of this is our ethical framework, communicating with integrity. And as you mentioned, communicating in a concise way too, because if we try to overwhelm people with all the information out there, it, we're just... They're going to shut down. Yeah, they do. They do. And it, and it is a common mistake that that many people make in presentations is trying to... Thinking that it's better to say more. And in fact, a lot of times it's better to say less and have people then want more or come back for re- additional resources. Um, I, I love the... I was uh, pulling up as you were speaking, Sandy, a quote from... Mark Twain. Um, Mark Twain, uh, toward the end of his life, was becoming very popular and did a lot of writing for different newspapers. And there's a famous telegram that came to him from a publisher uh, that said, need two-page short story two days. And he famously replied, no can do two pages two days. 
can do 30 pages two days need 30 days to do two pages. Yeah. And he had this down pat, which is the the understanding that in order to be concise and really understand the audience and to communicate a message, that actually takes more time than it does to just throw it all out there. That's, so that's then easy. So back at the study, the issues exactly, part of this. Exactly, exactly. Because if you don't study, so go back and listen to that last podcast one more time. If you don't study, you may actually, in with great intentions, you may actually say the wrong thing and or do the wrong thing. So listen, learn who your target audience is. One size does not fit all. And make sure you do your homework first. You can't just take a prepackaged presentation and go out and start talking about it. You really need to understand who you're talking to and what you want to communicate to them. So Sandy, I know you said uh, shared a little bit about the process you use when you're going out and speaking. What are the things that each one of us should keep in mind when we're thinking about, you know, we've done some of the study, like listening to the show and, and other things, but we want to go out and be a voice. Where should we all start in that process? Well, I think being part of, of an organization that you're accountable to will help you figure out the exact content that you want to have included in your presentation. And I think that um, having some credibility, if, if the group doesn't know you, your first PowerPoint slide, if that's what you're using, needs to have your credentials on there. And it's kind of an interesting thing to, for me because I change that slide from time to time depending on the group that I'm working with. And so if I'm if I'm going someplace where they're all professionals and I feel like, oh my goodness, they these are these are really important people, I make sure my slide says Sandra Morgan R N P H D because I, I want them to know that I have studied and I want them to feel secure that I'm going to give them solid um, evidence based um research when I'm speaking to them. Mm -hmm. But if I'm going to go speak to um, a youth group or a high school, I may not put it, I'll change it and make it maybe Professor Morgan or something so that this is much more, it's about me and you yeah. having this conversation. Yeah. Or in other groups, I'm I'm like the nurse and I focus, focus on that. And I don't feel like that's being a chameleon or anything. I think it's being... Um, accessible to your listeners when you're giving them that information. And that's where the 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 decision point I think becomes is what's going to be valuable that's going to connect with the audience. And one of the things, and you know, Sandy, I work with Dale Carnegie, and one of the things when we're working with people on their presentation skills and even their introduction, how to introduce a speaker, we'll talk about, you know, pick two or three things from your bio that are most relevant to that audience. Yeah. And highlight them. Don't have someone read a four-page bio from you or, or read it yourself. Of have have the two most relevant things to that audience presented, and that may be different for the next presentation or the next group that's relevant to them. And both are truthful and ethical. It's just a matter of what are you highlighting that's going to connect with that group. Like you said, if you're speaking in front of nurses, of course you're going to talk about being a nurse mm -hmm. and being a registered mm -hmm. nurse. Um, but if you're speaking in front of uh, a law enforcement community or a group of students, you may not even mention it um, because right. it, it isn't relevant to that audience on making a connection with you and meeting them, meeting you where they are. Right, exactly. So think about your audience and think about what's going to be relevant to them. Um, 
make sure that you've studied this well and that your presentation is ethical and um, it, the in, it's the integrity. You know, integrity is more than just being morally right. Integrity is the wholeness. So it's a picture that's balanced and it's not sensationalized that to drive something um, in the direction you want to go for your pet project. So be ethical and maintain integrity in that. Listening is the biggest part of being a voice. Ironic, isn't it? That we talk about being a voice and and there's that old uh, adage, Sandy, of the, the two ears and one mouth and that we should use them in that proportion. And it's, it's an old cliche, but it's, but it's true. You know, right. we, we really should enter a conversation, particularly when we're going to speak to an organization first by spending more time listening up front and learning and asking questions and then taking the time to speak. And like you, I do the same thing whenever I'm asked to go present for an organization. I have a whole list of questions that I bring and I try to really spend the time of listening first to understand what it is that I can bring that will be most helpful to them. Another, another part of being a voice, though, is not the spoken word. It is the written word. And that has become more and more apparent to me. And when I start writing my resolutions for 2015, one of them is going to be to start blogging on these issues. So mm. um, you're going to have to hold my feet to the fire. Oh, but good, good. Um, I, think, I think that if we can be more present in in the blogosphere in the written uh, world articles that really address this from from a very solid um, prevention protection prosecution and partnership and when we can give examples that demonstrate how people are using their re- their resources and their expertise and how the language is impacting the movement to end human trafficking or how the language is is obstructing um, rescues. And this, and especially the movement towards prevention is really growing. And so many of the, the engagements that I've had lately have been with people that are working with children, working with school kids. And this is very encouraging, writing, about your experience and your understanding is something that I think more and more of more of us need to do in this movement. I am so excited to hear you say that. I just can't wait to oh, read. Oh, I said it have, out loud. I know, and it's it, it's a good thing we're not recording this or airing it anywhere. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I am so excited to hear you say that because there is such an importance of of the written word. And gosh, Sandy, you have so many great stories and uh, articles in you. I just, I just can't wait to start reading it. And I will absolutely hold you to the voice. fire. Okay. Yeah. All right. So um, the second part of this engagement part is make a difference. So what are you going to do? What kind of action? Well, a lot of that is going to be um, another, it's not like listening, but it's another assessment Um, stage, you have to figure out what is everybody else doing? You don't want to reinvent the wheel. You don't want to do parallel things to someone else. So being active in your community and finding out what everybody else is doing. And sometimes it means you just jump on their bandwagon and cheer loud and be a partner with them. Other times you may be the one who says, you know, 
nobody's doing anything over here. So you're the one to go and and do that. There are so many ways for people to be involved in, uh, especially I love kids, um, youth groups, college students, because they want to do something and they're passionate. And if you give them something to do, they show up, they show up. Our Vanguard Live to Free team, they're, they're out today. They've done three presentations this week. Mm. And it's just astounding what they've been able to do. And they have listened to who their audience is. They've completely revamped the way that they deliver their, their training on um, vulnerability for being sex trafficked in America. And they deliver it more in a peer mentorship model so that um, the students then role play how they would protect a friend who suddenly seems to have an older boyfriend or has been a, um, chatting online with somebody that's not part of their circle. So I, I love how they've, they've, they've just reached out, grabbed hold of something and learned how to do it well. And they, the things that people can do when they're first getting started um, seems so simple But just to give you a few ideas, because I get so many emails and calls from people who say, well, um, I really don't know what I can do on this. And um, or or worse, Sandy, the classic example of this is someone who gets uh, learns a little bit about the human trafficking issue and says, oh, my gosh, I have to do something. I'm going to go start a shelter for victims. Oh, my goodness. And and um, and and again, very well intended, but Mm. but doesn't know that there are already five shelters in the area. And that's not the need. The need is, like you said, somewhere else to maybe go talk to youth groups, which no one may be doing in the community, even though there are shelters there already. And so just taking the time to understand where can you really make a difference, not just take action that might not even align with what everyone else is doing. And that you can make a difference using your skills, your expertise, and your resources. So most of the time when people come and um, ask me about shelters, um, they don't actually have the expertise or they don't have the resources. Um, they have lots of good intentions. And when you tell them how many resources they're going to need, it totally blows them away. So start small and then then go far and go slow. Uh, some of the things that we've done in communities to get them started is um, ordering the posters. We've, we've told people how to do this in the past, and we'll put that up there again. Um, ordering the posters from Rescue Restore. And now the Blue Campaign has posters as well that they'll send to you. And that's at um, Homeland Security's uh, website. Both of those have hotline numbers, the 888-3737-888 number. And you can take those and post those in transit stations like buses, airports, um, train stations, you can take flyers out to rural communities. You know, awareness um, issues, awareness strategies have been much more successful in in urban areas, and rural areas are often overlooked. So, doing outreach um, to educate rural communities, and, and one group held a community event and had a block party. And I mean, they had cupcake sales and all kinds of things. It was just wonderful, but it was their whole community um, making this an event that would draw everybody's attention to the reality of human trafficking in our own neighborhoods. And that's such an important part of prevention, especially if, um, 
if you start to look and study the issues before you start talking about it or doing something, but you start realizing that, for example, here in Orange County, um, more than 60% of the victims rescued last year, and I, I'll have to look up what the, the actual statistic was, um, were domestic. They weren't foreign nationals. So how are we doing at educating our own communities from a prevention, not just a an awareness perspective? Um, if you're a professional learning, um, listening to this, I want to challenge you to use your expertise and your community colleagues and begin to do something. It takes a little bit more prep, but if you're a social worker, learn how to train other social workers. We've done, um, we've done some podcasts that give you resources to do like a five minute coffee break training, but there are more extensive trainings that would be more valuable to social workers. The same thing for healthcare workers. And as much um, training as has been offered out in the law enforcement world, there are, sto- there are still some police departments that have not had the option to have law enforcement training. And we have resources in California through our Orange County Human Trafficking Task Force that goes out regularly to train police departments. If there's not something in your area, there are ways to um, get training materials so that if you're a, a law enforcement officer, um, an investigator, a federal agent, there are ways to get that training so that you can deliver it. And using our expertise and resources, we can all do something. And it is almost limitless, Sandy, of how many needs are out there and how many opportunities to help people. So that starting point is often just finding the people who are in your community. And if you absolutely don't know where to start, the human trafficking uh, hotline is a place, right? Right. that That will help you to figure out just within your area who is doing work and of partnering with them to learn what are the needs, what is being addressed and what isn't being addressed. So you really can take actions that truly will make a difference to your community and to the broader effort on ending human trafficking. And this, this idea of community engagement, beginning with study the issues and then moving into being a voice and making a difference, it is not a linear path. It is a cycle. And so as you, if you start doing some of these, some of these preliminary ideas for taking action in your community, then you begin to realize, oh, there's more to this. So you go back to the study, the issues, and you, you look in that prevention column and you realize I could be doing some stuff with after-school kids in marginalized neighborhoods. I could be serving, um, at the single mom's shelter for battered women. I could be supporting another organization that is providing um, educational resources to recovering to um, victims who are becoming survivors. And they would love to go and do the ESL lessons, but they have no transportation. And we all know that public transportation in the U.S. is often very limited. So just a volunteer that becomes a driver that's an amazing action step to do. Yeah. But this is a cycle. Study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference. And I think it's it's telling that we've mentioned study the issues and throughout this, this show, Sandy, even though this wasn't the topic of the show, because right. it does keep coming back to relearning 
not even relearning, but learning anew and a different audience, a different, a different organization, a different partnership. We really do have to become the student every single time, every single day and in our interactions to find out how we can then be a voice and to ultimately make a difference. And I want to remind listeners of an illustration that I've used over and over again of the faucet and the teaspoon. And the, um, the story goes, I've heard it first from Ron Sider, who told me that the mental health director in a rural area in India was asked, how do you know when your inpatients are ready to go home, when they're sane? And the director said, oh, it's easy. We take a bucket outside put it under a faucet, turn it on, and then we ask our patient to take a teaspoon and empty the bucket. And if the patient starts dipping the water out with this teaspoon, he gets to stay. Because if we don't turn off the faucet first, it's insane. Now that doesn't mean that we don't need teaspoons. We need a drawer full of teaspoons but we must turn the faucet off. And one of the key places for people who have their hands on the faucet because of their occupation are teachers and um, pastors, religious leaders, people who are instilling values into us, values that will change the trajectory of a consumerism that's just um, out of control and um, greed that makes people uh, so susceptible to fraudulent offers and scams and being lured into traps because they thought they were going to get something. So hand on the faucet, prevention, be a voice and make a difference. Sandy, I just, I, I really am amazed at how this, this three-step model that the center has spoken about for years is just so powerful and how it, it it's a just a reminder for me on a constant basis and I think for all of us who are part of the listening community of the show to to really do that and I, I'm so grateful that so many people come back uh, each uh, every other week to listen to the show and to continue to study the issues and that is you know we are never done learning on this I mean it is it is a constant process of being a student and learning how we can really affect change in a positive way yes. And, and speaking of which, you know, we are so grateful for those of you who have been so supportive of the show. And, you know, we have asked on a prior show, Sandy, that to uh, if, if that if you feel like you have a good sense of the show to take a moment to write a review or record a review on one of the podcast services or the audio directories out there, iTunes and Stitcher are the biggest ways that people listen to the show. And thank you to those of you who have taken the time in the past to do that. And if you haven't done that before and you listen to the show, either through iTunes or through Stitcher, we would be so grateful if you would take uh, just a moment. It just takes about a minute to go online and leave a rating for the show. If you have a, even a second moment to write a written review, that is really huge on uh, those directories and how visible they make the show. And that is one way right, right immediately you can make a difference to this effort, not for us and not for the visibility of the center, but for the ability for more people to discover the show and ultimately to study the issues so we can have more people out there that are being a voice and making a difference. And so I hope you'll take a moment to do that. And while you're online, if you haven't ever connected with us on our Facebook page, we have a very active Facebook page that Alexis, Sandy, and you 
keep and up to date. And our students are always posting. Our students are up there. Exciting stuff. Where you are in the world, pictures, dialogue with members of the community who have all supported the Global Center for Women and Justice. So uh, take a few moments to hop online there if you're a Facebook user and join us as well. Just do a search for Global Center for Women and Justice at Vanguard University and you will find it. And you can always reach us by email as well if you have any feedback. GCWJ at Vanguard.edu. Sandy, always a pleasure. And uh, we'll see you in two weeks, right? Thanks, Dave. Take care, everyone.